So we're now on part two with Curtis Lewa, and this part is going to talk about things like justice, meaning those people who've been victims of crimes. What exactly do they have to face? Those also who have done crimes and done their time, they also have a right to a fresh start, but they need jobs. And then most important of all, opportunity. How can the city give more opportunity to those who have less? by giving them more in things like law and also in making sure that people are protected. Will there be police or will there be silence? Let's listen to Curtis and what he has to say. And also things like basic income, seed money to start new businesses, livelihoods for lives. Here's Curtis Lewa. This is Mike of New York. Curtis Lewa and I'm running for mayor of the city of New York on the Republican and independent lines. So we're here with Curtis Lewa. What do you say to these millennials and, and the younger set who don't know that nothing in life is really free? How, how do you get them engaged to do things more in the well, community? I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm willing to listen. Uh, I'm having a discussion with the Yang Gang uh, town hall meeting about universal basic income. People say, I'm cursed, you're a public. You can't even touch that. I said, wait a second, Milton Friedman, who was uh, the father of modern capitalism, supply-side economics, you know, a libertarian, he actually proposed something along those lines because he was future thinking without saying, Artificial intelligence, robotics, going to wipe out a lot of jobs. Uh, he was saying it. At some point, you may want to do this to wipe out this massive bureaucracy that deals with social services. So you have conservatives and libertarians who think it's going to eliminate a lot of social service bureaucracy. Then you have liberals and progressives who say it's a humanitarian thing to do. Just give a basic income, let's say $1,000 a month, no strings attached. And give it without specifying. So maybe a rich person ends up with it, a middle-class person, mostly poor people end up with it. So I'm of the opinion, let's see what happens. Experiment with it. So I propose, okay, we got about six million dollars out of the budget each year, about 500 participants. We follow, we track them, we see. Because I trust people. I don't trust politicians. UBI is based on the principle, we trust people to spend the money correctly. Now, will all people spend the money correctly? Of course not. Now, look at our elected officials. <laughs> they they misspend all money all the time. Yeah, so, when I lived up in Buffalo, before moving back, moving down here to New York City about two and a half years ago now, they used to call Andrew Cuomo the best-dressed governor in the country because he had the most lawsuits. Yeah. Uh, and, and part of the reason of that was a lot of his donors, 11 of them, were indicted. Yeah. And uh, they, they, they threw a lot of money into Buffalo. They threw a, a billion and a half into different programs and things. 
uh, all designed to rekindle, revitalize, rebuild, you know, all these areas and everything. But at the end of the day, uh, it all went to little basic groups. Are you thinking along the lines of maybe something more direct, you know, like helping entrepreneurs, setting up small businesses, helping people to, to, to get started and doing things for themselves? rather than just waiting for government to hand things out to well, them as well. Well, I have well. a right to do business program because uh, many people who are entrepreneurial or idealistic tend to be immigrants, first time you see illegally or illegally. I want to help them get into business. Uh, you go up into Washington Heights, there's no empty space. You say, how, is, how can there be no empty space? We just got crunched with the pandemic and the, uh, the lockdown. Because they'll take what was an abandoned storefront and figure out three purposes for that. So you'll now have three purpose uh, businesses where there was one. That means obviously you're doing a lot of things illegally because building codes, permits, licenses, and all that. But I applaud them for doing that because all the space is active. It's generating income. People are employed. You're recognizing that they are like almost like worker ants. They're all working together and it's benefiting themselves and everyone else. And that's the position we have to take. So my attitude is empty space, right to do business. The licenses, the permits, we're gonna give you an easy pass. We're gonna knock off the fees and fines. And immediately we're gonna give you micro loans because you need some money to, to get started, give you a mentor, a guy or a gal who's been through the ringer in dealing with small businesses. And we're gonna help make you a success. But it's not going to be from the cradle to the grave. This is not socialism. This is like we're helping you help yourself. It's kind of like the original purpose of the Small Business Administration, basically. Really? I'm sorry. Uh, did you have a question, sir? I, I know you've been you've been waiting patiently. Maybe you'd like to ask her to something. Well, we, we spoke uh, before the meeting, but uh, I guess I could just ask uh, New York City uh, history of this area, especially Elmhurst, dates back to 1652. And uh, recently, a few years ago, we lost our last colonial house, the last link to the past, to developers. So there's massive, massive development. Uh, a lot of the older buildings are now three-story brick structures, and it's like a jigsaw puzzle. So, and Landmarks Preservation Commission really is, you know, they'll stall and stall and stall, but they prefer Brooklyn, Manhattan, and some kind of, you know, uh, you know, but, but for, for real history that we research in depth and we provide a story, sometimes it's still on the back burner for two years. We want to calendar it. We want to uh, really uh, pursue it so it's, it gets status and then bingo, it, well, it, it, it demolished. Look so, at this. Yeah. Even this side, I'm the Republican, I'm the independent candidate. I'm in the streets. Eric Adams, Democrat, calls himself blue collar. He mm -hmm. hasn't been a blue collar since he was originally in the police department, because then he became the white collar sure. captain. He's getting wine dined and pocket lined mm -hmm. by all the developers. Sure. The developers don't want to touch me because they know I have no patience for them. I know what their deal is. Get special deals. They want to upzone parts of Queens that are residential. Mm -hmm. That is crazy. That's Corey Johnson. Speaker of the Council is going to allow for upselling. So you take a residential area, and now you get a six-story monstrosity in the middle of a residential community. Whoa! But you see, it's all about developers. We got to develop. And that's why when I've talked with developers, you know, hey, Sunnyside Yard, yeah, train tracks below Amtrak, New Jersey Transit, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Long Island Railroad, 
build a flat top just like you did Hudson Yards. And I said, how'd that work out, Hudson Yards? Huh? <laughs> yeah. It's not that it wasn't a good idea because there was nothing there. But right now, yeah. there is nothing there other than CNN. It's nothing there. I said, how about we try to get development in Hudson Yards before we start putting blacktop, mm -hmm. concrete, building massive buildings. Look at downtown Long Island City. Yeah. It's like a mini city. True. I say to myself, okay, let's find out exactly how much space is occupied. It's not occupied. A lot of the residents are here who don't live here, meaning what I mean by year-round. They're here because they're going to school, mommy and daddy is funding their education, all of that is good, but a lot of it is investments to flip, to flip the condos. And you say to yourself, wait a second, I thought we passed laws to undo that, and they've worked around it. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be catering to developers, then when they call you, and that's what I'm going to ask Eric Adams in the debate, Whose constituent call are you going to call first? The whale mm -hmm. or the little sardine? And that's he's going to say, I treat the sardine just like the whale. I'd say, you're a liar. Because if I got a call from a contributor of mine who is generous, well, you know, you know damn well I'm answering their call sure. first. It doesn't mean I'm going to bend over backwards for them. But that's human nature. So when they start lying about those things, you know they're in the back pocket of the developers. And that's why they all sort of coagulated around Eric Adams, who actually, like, no, 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 I'm the blue-collar guy. Hell no. You're the candidate in the Hamptons, Martha's Vineyard, getting wine dined at pocket line. So areas like this will clearly be under the specter of overdevelopment. So they'll not be happy with one parcel. They'll say, why wouldn't we want to develop one parcel? How about the whole block? Yeah, yeah. That's when they come in with the wrecking ball, out you go, boom, okay, this is for the overall good. Look at all the jobs it's going to generate. When um, Jeff Bezos uh, created that plan in Long Island City, uh, we saw AOC was opposed to it, a lot of the elected officials. I was opposed to it. Now, why do you think I was opposed to it? Because it was a backroom deal with Cuomo and de Blasio. No community input. None of the other local officials knew anything. It was sort of like tough noogies. Yeah, take yeah. it. This is going to be for your good. And then he was telling us, and there will be good paying jobs in 10 years. And I'm saying to myself, in 10 years, this is going to be all robotics and artificial intelligence. What are you talking about? Look at his supermarkets. You got one person in the, the bees at the Amazon supermarkets. They're no human beings. You really think? If he has an opportunity to put artificial intelligence and robotics to improve on the profit side for the stockholders, they're not going to do that? Of course they are. I was a manager of a McDonald's restaurant. I've talked with McDonald's corporate people who already have restaurants ready to go in which you only have one human being in the McDonald's. Everything else is done by robotics. The product is better. It's cheaper. You don't have to deal with all the drama. <laughs> Somebody's coming in, the robot is there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Trust me, that's why we, we really gotta be enlightened. We really have to be experimental. We really have to be idealistic because you can't let the corporate power balance determine what's in the best interest of the little people. No, 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 no. That's right, it's amazing in this election. I represent the little people and the Democrat represents the rich and the privileged. A lot of people tend to forget that uh, New York City is now the largest Asian-American community, uh, especially among Chinese-Americans. Uh, I think there's about 700,000 
people who are actually born in China or are of ethnic Chinese origin who live in the city. Aside from that, you have you know Filipinos who come in second or third, Vietnamese, people from that part of the world. But a lot of these Asian Americans have come in, they're buying up old buildings, they're turning them around, they're rebuilding them, repurposing them, doing it on their own, a lot of times by themselves. What message do you have to them? Because they're worried that, and they're being told by Democrats that, oh, if you vote Republican, they're going to chase you out. You know, they're going to do all these things to get rid of you. Uh, how, how do you encourage Asian Americans to understand that you're not that can kind of candidate? Because they're basically typecasting that you should just talk to and listen to what Eric Adams will do for you uh, because Curtis Sliwa is white. He's not gonna. He's not gonna have the same kind of heart for someone who's an immigrant. Yeah. Well, first off, uh, thank God for the totality of the Asian American community for sending the kids mostly to public schools because they believe they raised all the scores, the cumulative scores. People don't realize that because all the scores were <laughs> average reading levels, uh, third grade below uh, reading at third grade level, below math doing at third grade. Uh, the Asian participation has raised that. Now, I would say to the Asians, because they don't trust the system, it's cash money rules the world. So when they're buying up real estate, they'll come, you know, with a satchel full of cash. I know, because when I was living in Forest Hills every Saturday, it wasn't the Russians, it the Chinese. They, uh, like, wait a second, this is all like, you know, the normal way of doing things is everybody has to be held accountable, taxes have to be paid, that's how our system generates uh, the revenue so that we can have social uh, assistance programs. Uh, they're being now uh, victimized for the same reason that Jews were victimized in the 60s when I went to school. People are feeling about their achievements spiteful, jealous, and they're being attacked. Now, to his credit, when Andrew Yang was running in the Democratic primary, remember all the rallies about Asian violence? Because he was a great spokesperson to all the other Democrats. Hey, that can't be his issue. When's the last time you saw a rally about Asian attack? People attacking Asians. And it's still going on every week. So all of a sudden, that issue no longer takes priority. For me, it does. So in the educational system, the specialized tests will maintain. Gifted and talented will be maintained but expanded. My own two youngest sons who live in Forest Hills with uh, Queens District Attorney uh, Melinda Katz, they went for gifted and talented. They didn't make it. They still get a good education. But when you look at the number of slots, you say, why so few slots when there can be so many who can qualify? And this will benefit a lot of people. So I would say every community brings things to the table. But every community also does things that have to start assimilating into an American way. Because a lot of countries where people come from, they don't pay taxes. Money is in the, they put it right there because they don't trust government. You know, they don't trust uh, banks. So they put it right in the mattress. It's out of sight, out of mind. We have to sort of give the second, third generation the feeling that, oh, the American way is the best way. But there are a lot I noticed the brand new immigrants and not trusting at all. My grandfather wasn't trusting. He was from Bari, Italy. He used to take his money, roll it up, put a hole in the wall, throw it down the wall. Because of dementia, he'd forget where the money was and then blame me for stealing it. My father would have to break down the wall and say, Pa, here it is. 
And he said, oh, one yawn. Oh, oh, oh. And he would apologize to me. But that's the point, is that we have to sort of get them to assimilate. And, and then there will even be more of a force to reckon with. Do you have anything you'd like to add or mention or anything you'd like me to ask specifically? Um, I think it would be good for you to make a kind of a conclusive um, statement, like thank uh, Michael for asking questions and kind of have your own conclusion to it and, and then you have one. Yeah, I, I would say uh, people know that I'm a tough guy and that I'll be tough on crime. I mean, it's, that, that, that comes with my turf for all the work I've done with the Guardian Angels for 42 years. But they don't realize I bring compassion. That's something you don't see in politics. Taking care of the emotionally disturbed, the homeless, and animals. There will be no killed shelters when I'm mayor. First day, no killed shelters. We kill thousands of dogs and cats and other animals in the animal care and control uh, system. And we think, everyone I've ever spoken to in campaigning, they think, oh, yeah, if I surrender my animal, or if they find animals unwanted, they bring them to the shelter and they eventually adopt them out. Hell no, 72 hours, and the governor herself couldn't call up and get a reprieve, like in the old black and white movies, you know, when the guy's on death row. Sorry, Governor Hochul, this little kitty is getting euthanized. And just to, just to understand, it's not just do as I say, uh, but don't do as I do. It's basically, I live in a 328 square foot apartment on the Upper West Side, talking about doing more with less, and we raised 17 rescued cats, I and my wife Nancy. All of them rescued from shelters who within the 72-hour period, they would have been euthanized. And we adopt them out and we force them out so we can take in more. One of the reasons I need to be in Gracie Mansion. I could have 60 cats inside, pit bull terriers that are going to be uh, euthanized outdoor, outside in the yard. It will be great. But no, we're going to have no-kill shelters. Austin, Texas has that. And when I bring it up, all the electeds, doesn't matter, Democrats and Republicans, they don't even want to address that. The only one who's cognizant of that is Bob Holden over in Middle Village. He's uh, definitely an animal lover. He understands that has to be done. He's a Democrat. But this is, this is going to be it. Uh, and people say, well, you really think that's a big issue? Hell yes. The way a society treats its animals, look at how it treats its human beings. Look at how we treat the emotionally disturbed. Look at how we treat the homeless. Oh, are we shocked? Are we surprised? No, because that's the way we treat uh, people and animals, we treat them as if there are no consequence. And that's going to change when I'm mayor. They will have the priority. People say, Republican? That sounds communistic. It's not communistic, it's humanitarian. Where is, where is our humanitarian instincts that we were born with? It doesn't mean because you get into politics that you're depleted. I am a politician. The first time I shook somebody's hand and kissed their baby, I'm a politician. You know, uh, Trump and the others, I'm not a politician. Hell yes, you are. The first time you shake a hand and kiss a baby. But it doesn't mean you lose your humanity. And most of them have. Or if they have that humanity still within them, they don't want to fight uh, for the people who are out of sight, out of mind. They don't want to fight. And I'm more than happy to fight for them. I've been doing that my whole life. In a word, what would your administration be? In like one word, if you could sum it up. When you're mayor, what do you want? Uh, day one in City Hall, big sign. If you're a lobbyist, I'm going to kick your ass. Do not come into City Hall. Do not go to the offices of the city council members across the street because 
the reason the people who are well-to-do do better, they have lobbyists. Hillary Clinton one time said something that I agreed with. I didn't often agree with her. She said, you know, all Americans should have a lobbyist in Washington. And you'd have no room for the elected officials because they'd all be queued up. But in one sense, she was correct. The people don't have lobbyists. Who lobbies for the average person? When they call up, I'll tell you how it works, the system. If you go into your uh, city councilman's uh, district, let's say Danny Drum's district, or AOC's uh, district, let's say you have a person doing uh, community service. They're pleasing, pleasant, and polite. They're so nice, they were given ins uh, uh, diabetic would have insulin shock. They sit there, oh, can I take your information? When the elected official or their staff comes in and say, oh, Freddie came in? When's the last time Freddie voted? Did he ever make a contribution to us or to members of our party? He only votes in presidential elections? File that in a round filing cabinet. I've seen that done by Democrats and Republicans. Basically, if you're not a prime voter and you haven't contributed to that party of that elected official, and especially to the election prospects of the person that you're seeking help from, forget about it. And it, it, when you call up after that, they'll introduce you to Mr. Click. So once you understand the system, as mayor, you can say, that ends. That's why Bloomberg created 311. Why, why do you need 311? You got all these elected officials. Aren't they supposed to be doing constituent service? Because the understanding is they don't. So you create another layer of bureaucracy, 311, which has become a joke. So it's like layer after layer after layer. When it really gets down to, just like a doctor will tell you, most doctors will tell you, I know within two minutes what the problem with the patient is if they'll just have a conversation. They're not going to converse with me. It doesn't matter how many tests I do, whatever. It's hit and miss. I know more by having a conversation. So we have to teach people to be conversationalists and to listen. Because all of our elected officials, what do they all do? Talk, talk, talk. So when, when the other day you had de Blasio, AOC, and Schumer go to Woodside, right off the BQE, the whole area destroyed, the people there were angry. Most of them are Democrats, very few Republicans. Because neither Schumer, AOC, or de Blasio, all three of them different, would talk to the people. They talked to the press, there were like 30 press people there, packed their bags, left. Couldn't be bothered. I went there, I spent four hours. And what did I do most of my time? Putting my hand down <laughs> in some poles, <laughs> catch basins, taking sewer caps off, showing people, and they were in agreement. And people bonded with that because they understood, yeah, yeah, you're a real person, you understand. And some people giving me grief, but you sit there and you take it. They don't want it, see, they don't want to take that. They just want, they call it, we call it a drive-by photo opportunity. You drive in, drive out, they're out of here. Maybe you find somebody who looks, the staff says, oh, this person, like, hey, hey, yeah, yeah, and then it's gone. So you're gonna put the public servant back in City Hall, basically, just well, service uh, to the public. Selfless service. Uh, I was raised to believe that poverty brings you closer to God, and I am really close to that at this point. If I died tomorrow, I would be in Potter's Field in a cardboard box from all the child support it's my, of my own making. <laughs> I have nobody to blame but myself. But the point being is, I was raised, selfless service brings you closer to God. Poverty brings you closer to God. And I saw evidence of that everywhere. 
And it doesn't mean rich people aren't good people and they don't do a lot of philanthropic good because I've seen a lot of that. But I also see there's a, a loss of a sense of what's in the best interest of humanity. You know, we die, it's ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You get judged by what have you done for anybody else, not just for yourself and your family. Uh, and I think a lot of us have lost that. The idea is, I was always taught by others, no, no, make a success of yourself so then you can help other people. What do you mean like Bloomberg, no? All right, that's one route. But most people are never gonna be Bloomberg. Let's be real, it's like telling a black kid play basketball all day and you too can be Michael. Hey, go ahead, knock yourself out, you enjoy basketball, that's good, but most people are not gonna be Michael Jordan. Most people are not gonna be Michael Bloomberg. How about just helping people as you go along in everything you do every day? That's what brought joy to my father, Chester, a merchant seaman for 55 years, and my mother, Francesca. I always saw them get nachis joy out of just helping people, and that rubbed off on me. So that's the, that's the greatest feeling in the world. Then I created an organization where people will respond to us. So I take somebody like Bruce. Bruce could blend into a crowd, but now he's in a red beret and a t-shirt. Oh, Guardian Angel, oh, I love that. You know, in 1982, they saved my life. Now, it wasn't Bruce, but it was another Guardian Angel. And he's getting, he's feeling like a million bucks. No feeling in the world can match that. Selfless service. I don't care. Idolatry, which is what politics is, you know, put them all up like we did with Cuomo. We did with Obama. We did with Trump. Now we're doing with Eric Adams, the new face of the Democratic Party, the Mashiach, he's going to save us. Get out of here. We'll save ourselves. Politicians can help, but there should be no idolatry. And the press cannot be friends with politicians. they got to keep their feet and hands to the fire. Never trust a politician, and that includes me. If you think, if I'm, my back is to the wall, I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to think, didn't delay, ignore, deny. Delay dealing with it, ignore it for a while, maybe it'll go away in the news cycle, and then don't deal with it at all. And the press gotta be all over you, all over you. Because all politicians want is you do a press release, and they want you to print the press release. And then they have a relationship with reporters that say, hey, I got something that could be an exclusive for you. You didn't get it from me, but hey, the quid pro quo, the famous Trump uh, Ukrainian quid pro quo exists between politicians and journalists. It shouldn't be that way. Straight up, journalists are not there to be friends of politicians. They are journalists because they must be truth seekers. Politicians are not truth seekers, if anything. <laughs> if you hooked a politician up to a lie detector test, they would be blown into smithereens after the first question. Would you like to summarize everything you'd like to come up with? Uh, yeah, just uh, my whole focus here is improve, don't move. I know that people are leaving this city, people who want to stay. Now, if you want to leave, no, that's part of the American way. We want to encourage you because we know others will, will take your place.